0: Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. amen and amen how great is our God what an awesome what an awesome song but even more so yes it has a catchy tune to it my big thing about music is music really moves me Uh, it always has I've been a an aficionado of music of all genres my entire life I absolutely love music what people don't recognize though is that words have meaning and a lot of the stuff that I would like to listen to are it's not conducive to me living the life that god has called me to Uh, it is exciting music it's music that moves you but uh, a lot of times those songs can move us in the polar opposite direction amen that's what it can do for me but also music can also usher me into a state of incredible heightened worship and one of the reasons that i like the music eddie and i always i just love how god sent eddie all those years ago Our music tastes are polar opposite, uh, as he always talks about my uh, Mayflower music. One of the reasons that I appreciate the Mayflower music so much is if you are honest with yourself and you take a Mayflower song and you take a current day song, you will see that the Mayflower songs have so much depth to them. They speak volumes, and I don't care what the tune is. Either way, for me, it doesn't matter I love words that usher you into the presence of the Lord with depth of theology, meaning they speak to something. So those older songs that maybe you don't appreciate as much, I would encourage something, go home and do a study on the words of it. And more importantly, go study the meaning behind a lot of why many of those songs were written. It will blow your mind. How through valleys, mountaintops, and every extreme in between, God used situations and circumstances to lead these writers to write about a situation that God was so faithful in bringing them through. So, even in this song, you know, hey, God is such a powerful, He's an awesome, He's a mighty, wonder working God. He is a great God. And I hope you're experiencing that in your lifetime. And I don't, again, Please don't ever take what I say as a cliche statement that I'm just saying that because that's the preacherly thing to say. Church, you might know me, some of you know me well. If I didn't believe what I say this morning, I assure you, I would not be standing here. I got much better things to do if this is a facade, if this is false, if this is a lie, if this is a waste of time. I don't have five minutes to mess around, amen? The reason I'm here this morning is this is truth. This is life, this is what the power of God does in transforming a man like myself that wanted nothing to do with church, wanted nothing to do with religion, and he transformed me into a person that had been religious at one point into a person that is a relational child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Again, I, don't be religious for me. Don't come in here and put on your Sunday face for me. You remember, I don't, I don't know hearts, God does. God does. I don't care about you playing games. So if you're having a tough day, a rough week, rough year, that's okay. Because that's what it means to walk with the Lord. We have tough times. The great thing is we not only have a God that walks with us, a God that places our steps, as the scripture says, but also he's given us one another to walk with, to shoulder burdens, to pray with, to cry with, to laugh with. He has given us the blessing of this body of Christ to do life together. And if you're not engaging to the level that you could or should, don't let yourself be robbed. There's only one person that will rob you from that, and that's the enemy. The enemy and the prince and power of darkness. He does not want you enjoying the fellowship of these relationships that God's given us. He did not want you at an experience like Thursday night when we had our read-through-the-Bible dinner. It was such an amazing, precious time. It was Hearing how God's word is, is moving in lives, is changing lives, is sustaining ones. Just powerful to hear those stories. I didn't have as many this year. I know there were a lot of uh, schedule conflicts with it. But I pray you're, by the way, I need a count. Even though you didn't come to the Bible dinner, I need people to, um, I actually have to put up another list. I need to have every person's name down who did it because I want to give you a little thing to put because I know some of you keep up with that. But I give you a certificate for doing that. You don't do that as a pat on the back. But what I want you to be able to do is, I didn't have one of those printed out for me, so I roughly know that 20 years ago I started reading. My dad knows 1981 is when he started, my mom, 83. But I want you to have those so that you can look back at the blessing of the accomplishment of being faithful to the reading of God's word. So please, if we can, I'll get a list out, uh, hopefully this afternoon when you see it next week, because I want to print those out. Uh, I hope God has been faithful to you this week. And I don't even say that I know he's been. By the way, I don't even have to hope. I know God's been faithful to you because this is one thing that God doesn't do. He doesn't lie. God can't lie. It's inconsistent with his character and his nature. So if there's an issue this week where you feel like you've not been in God's presence, I assure you it's not been a God thing. And you're at the right place though because what we do is we love the truth of God's word we love the verse-by-verse teaching, reading, and preaching of Scripture because God's Word is what changes lives. I don't have a prescription for you. Anything other than get in God's presence. Again, you have a relational creator. He's the one that created you, knows you better than your, you know yourself than anybody ever could know you. And that creator desires to fellowship. And if you just look back to what was going on at the beginning of time and creation, God walked with Adam, that's what God's desire is, is to walk with us. God didn't just create us as some crazy experiment to watch failure. No, God created us to be relational. And not only that, when mankind broke the relational fellowship with him, God in his infinite patience, love, mercy, and grace established the way for us once again to walk with him. And again, what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, Genesis the beginning, what happened in the Garden of Eden when they broke fellowship with him? I'm going to tell you the rest. I have say this to you, and I think I want you to learn this little statement I make. The rest of the Bible is summed up just like this. God's desire to walk with man, fellowship with man, the rest of the Bible is God restoring what was broken and ultimately fellowshipping, walking with man again. That is the restoration and the culmination of everything that the Bible is. And one day that's going to be done in its finality. The old order of things is going to pass away and all things will be new. But in the meantime, we've got now. We are facing the everyday battles of being, in my case, a man of God, a father of God. I want to be a husband of God. I want to be the employee of God. I want to do everything that God's called me to. And likewise, I hope that's your desire So now we're dealing with the now, the everyday reality of waking up every day and having, as I shared, maybe Sunday night, this choice we have, choose you this day whom you will serve. Uh, But I pray that yours is, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Luke, the 16th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 31 today of a story that the Bible relays to us. Uh, I actually reference it. Quite often. Uh, To me, it's a powerful story, an incredibly powerful story. It's a frightening story. And it's a in some instances a horrifying story. Um, The message is titled One Day. And it's in the context of One Day. Well, not only will one day every knee bow and every tongue will confess, but one day. The old order of things is going to pass away. All things are going to be made new. And it is this battle that we see on sometimes a daily basis because I've been pastoring here. This is now going on. This just finished 16th year, working on 17th now. I sat down and talked to a lot of people in these years. And one of the things that I've heard rather frequently is it's, it's very difficult. Let's just say on a Sunday morning it's not real pretty from that perspective today, but let's say during the summertime, you know, your, your neighbor uh, maybe has a nicer house than you do, has nicer cars than you do. Uh, maybe your neighbor has a boat. You can't afford a boat, but your neighbor's got a boat, and, you know, your neighbor's got this awesome family dynamic, in your opinion, and on Sundays, you know, you're getting ready to leave for church, and you're sitting in your clapped out, you know, uh, old Ford, and they're getting into their brand new, you know, 2025 Denali, whatever it might be that they're driving. And you're sitting there as your car's missing, your air conditioner's out, you got the windows rolled down, you're sweating, right? Because you're all dressed up and he's out there just, you know, cracking the first beers for the day and, and doing what the world does. And there's a battle sometimes for us to go, "Here I am, Lord. I'm I'm honoring you. I'm glorifying you. I've got this family and and look at the neighbor over there. He's got a family too, but look at that nice, you know, $140,000 Mumba boat he's got with all those nice speakers on it and all those weight boards. And the kids have motorcycles and they got motorcycles. And I'm tithing and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Look at me. Look at my clapped out 25 year old Ford. It's barely running, Lord. And look at my struggles and my battles. And I don't have it. Look what they got. What is this good God stuff, man? What, don't, you, don't you think, Lord, you should throw a little bit of that? If you own the cattle on a thousand hills, can't you auction a couple of them for me? Because, Lord, don't you think that if I'm part of the biblical priesthood that the priest deserves a little better than that? I'm going to answer right now, no. Matter of fact, that's a heart that's actually pretty wicked because we need to remember something. That person that you sometimes envy, apart from a divine miracle of God, it's going to split hell wide open. And I will just tell you right now, they're engaged in the act of enjoying little H, the only heaven they're going to ever see. And we've got to be careful what we desire. Because God promises to supply all of our needs to meet our needs. And I will assure you, if you've not gotten online and watched some of the documentaries that I have encouraged you to watch, I watched another one on India this week and one on Ghana you you don't even realize the level of wealth that you and I have. Because if you do, you're going to realize that in your clapped out 25-year-old car in your house, and your one or two or three TVs in your house, you have more than 98% of the world already has plus. We have more than most people, even in this nation, could only hope and dream for now because if you even own a house now, I will assure you that you're doing a lot better than a lot of these young people are going to be doing because I can't even understand how anybody could break into this housing market as a young person I don't even know. But see, God's promise is to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And when we allow things to be brought in perspective, the perspective of realizing how absolutely filthy rich we all are and how truly blessed... Just the prospect of this morning being able to come and freely worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is something that will not be able to be done in so many other countries around the globe that you can't begin to realize. This is a gift, a precious gift. This is not in the cultural, you know, a right culturally. No, this is a gift from God. And there's been a very high price paid so that what we're able to do today, we have the privilege of doing. We're going to see, though, this morning that you and I can get caught into little H heaven chasing. We can get caught in that lie. But I want you to understand something, church. There is a very real price that will be paid for that. It's not a, this joke of, well, maybe it's, it's all about the one that dies with the most money wins. You know, bumper sticker you see on the side of the road or falling victim to that and believing that, you know what, I can be a Christian and I can go out here and, and live for the world and plunge myself into a full dissipation like the world, and it's not going to be a, good, a big deal because, you know, God created me like I am. And is there nothing wrong, is there, with, you know, going out there and knocking it out? It's not of God. You don't want it. You don't want to look at it. You don't want to smell it. You don't want to taste it. You don't want anything near it if it's not part of God's plan. Because I assure you, there is a high price that is going to be paid for people seeking and desiring the temporal things of life versus the eternal things of the glory and the presence of God and enjoying that because there was a very high price paid for it the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus became sin for us. Jesus bore our sin debt, every thought, every action, everything. Not to give us heaven on earth. No, he gave us this to redeem us out of this. He has called us out. We are to be set apart. God sent Christ Jesus so that we could not only gain life, as a follower of Jesus Christ, but then our commission, our commandment is to go and make disciples, teaching them everything I've commanded you in church. Part of that this morning is to tell you that the trappings of this world, the lies of the enemy, are nothing more than that. They're lies. They're a mirage. Same way when you go to Florida and you see the, the little uh, heat signatures coming off the, the asphalt, and you can see that puddle that's way, way ahead of you. And as you go down the interstate, that puddle moves as fast as you do. It's a mirage. It's not actually there. It's something that we see that's not real. And it's alive, though. The same way in the Garden of Eden, when the lie was cast before Adam and Eve, what did they do? They saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom, pleasing to the eye. So Eve ate some and then gave it to her husband. And that was the beginning of this brokenness that we experience now and what sin brought in. See, God, again, has sent Christ Jesus to become sin for us, to pay a price, not so that we can live in and of the world. It is so that we can be separated. We are called out, set apart. And this lie, though, is ever beckoning daily. This lie that says you can have both. This lie that says, you know what? It's not as serious as that pastor proclaims from the pulpit up there. You know, they're just trying to control you, or they're trying to do this and trying to do that. No, it's one more of the lies. The lie always promises much but delivers nothing. Amen? That lie is to try to rob us from intimate fellowship with the Father, to rob us from the blessing of being a part of the body of Christ, to rob us from the blessing of watching a godly heritage be passed on to our children and our children's children what he wants to do is bind us in the lie long enough to rob us from being obedient to what God created us to do. Don't, wants to rob us enough of enough time so that our children never see Christ lived out in our lives and they don't repeat that. And by the time you or I figure it out, our children are much older and only by God's grace will they be redeemed. He wants to rob, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you one day, very quickly, I forgot to share this earlier. Uh, child protection training on March 17th. I want you to listen really closely. If you are involved in any way with our child ministry, we take this very serious. Our children are to be protected. We have this policy and we have this training for a reason. If you're in any way involved in our children's ministries, if you're involved any way in wanting to teach class, anything, Bible school, you've got to take this training. I found out there's very few people down for that training. Everyone who's involved with children has to take it. There's also going to be some first responder and some security training in that, so please sign up for that. Maybe you go, I don't know if I'm going to teach kids. Come anyways. You know why? Because then you have the the hurdle dealt with so that you can be a part of ministering to our children. Amen? Please do that. The sign-up sheet is is right in here. Please go after church. Sign up very quickly. It doesn't much time. What is a, an hour or two after one Sunday morning on March 17th? The children deserve this, and they need this. They need men and women that are serious about the call. And remember, the only Jesus some people might see is a Jesus we live out. Let God use us in an extension of the kingdom for his glory. But I hope you found Luke chapter 16. Again, we're going to look at verses 19 through 31. And if you are physically able this morning, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores One day the poor man died, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Beside all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, They will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Father, God, thank you for the word, your word. God, the truth, the life that has been found in it and will always be the only source of life. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that your word would go forth in power and as the promise of your word says, it will not return void but will accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. Father, pray you'd hedge this building with your protective angels, purge anything or one that would not desire to honor and glorify you alone. Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's one here that does not know you're watching online, that has never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation, Father, the most important decision that will ever be made. God, may you be glorified. Hide me behind the cross so that you might speak to hearts as only you can. We ask all this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I've thought about this parable, I don't even know how many times. For whatever reason, there's not a week that goes by that either two or three days during the week that I don't think about that rich man. I don't know why. Maybe it's God's way of keeping me focused, keeping me set, you know, Colossians 3, set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth, because this story is not just a story, it's truth. This is a story that actually happened. This is a story that continues every day that I wake up. Remember, in the now, we don't have, we have night and day, but in eternity, there are no, mornings and evenings. That's one of those things, you know, you think, well, when I wake up in hell. No, you don't wake up in hell. That is, there's no such thing as a morning or an evening there. It's the same thing every day. And it's interesting because you hear me reference in the Garden of Eden, everything, right? You had God and man together, dwelling together, and then you had the separation that occurred, and what that separation between that is, what we know as hell, It's interesting that you have this right here, this great chasm. Think about that, that chasm that's been, you once again see this separation. God giving mankind his choice. I know some people don't agree with that because, you know, they think, well, wait a minute, Uh, what what if uh, somebody's never heard anybody tell them about God? Wait a minute, what does the scripture say? The heavens declare the glory of the earth the work of his hands. Even those who have never heard a presentation of the gospel are able in their own conscience to go, wait a second, oh, who created this? I've heard people that have said they've never had an official presentation of the gospel milling around in their mind the fact that this can't just have happened. It's too complex. If this had just happened, wait a second, why aren't apes coming out of the jungle and This transitionary fossil stuff, why is it not occurring? Why would it just stop, right? Amen? But that's the hardness of heart that doesn't want to submit, that doesn't want to yield. That is the battle with the sin nature that we've been born with. But see, one day, as I referred to just a few minutes ago, with that man next door that you see with the $140,000 ski boat in the You know, now, good gracious, hundred thousand dollars suburban or whatever they bought in tow with all the trappings of what the world sees as success. I wanna tell you one thing. There was a lot of really nice things when I was young growing up. I remember cars that were so amazing and so I remember the Plymouth laser in nineteen eighty four. If anybody remembers the Plymouth Laser in 1984 was one of the first cars that had a digital dash, <laughs> look at it now. It was like a cheap video game from the early 80s. But it was just the cutting-edge technology. And one of my brothers' friends had one, and our cars just fascinated me back then. And he came by with it and it was like, oh, and looking at it now, it's like what a joke. The thing was a total bomb. All the electronics had problems. It never functioned like it did, but you know, nothing else cast the vision, right? Do You know where those are now? I don't even think they're in the junkyard anymore. They sold the scrap years ago, and they're probably parading around in our cars, you know, with the metal that was recycled. All of those things are passing away. Going to Israel, going up to the top of Masada and seeing the beautiful artwork in the floors, the the tile, you know, these little pieces that big. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of those little pieces intricately placed around, still shining in their radiant beauty over 2,000 years later. Much else has been destroyed. But all of these things in the earthly sense, they're all passing away. Money and dynasties come, money and dynasties go. You might have power, you might be rich, you might be this, you might have all this influence with people in this life, but I will promise you, there's one thing that removes every bit of it from you, and it's to cease to have a heartbeat. The moment you die, all of the power, all the money, all of the ambition, and all of the hopes and dreams immediately are dashed. But the question then becomes... What did you do with the most important decision that was ever made? What did you do with that decision? Because ultimately, end of this, when you or I are flatlined, dead, 10-7, out of service, no longer going to breathe, this is the only thing that matters. What did we do with Jesus? We're watching a story right here. That every day I wake up and I think of this, it's one more day that he is in a reality of hopelessness. Separated from the very thing that would have fulfilled him with what money had promised to. One day more removed from any hope in the hopelessness that is his reality because of his rejection. And merely, as C.S. Lewis says, God had merely said, thy will be done, as he did with Lazarus. Thy will be done. Listen to verses 19 through 21 again. So there was a rich man who would dress in purple, meaning he was very wealthy. Back then, purple was a sign of really royalty. They were very well off. You were rich if you wore purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus his sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come lick his sores. So you can't have a more polar opposite reality. You have Lazarus who is a poor beggar covered with sores, doesn't say anything about leprosy, but you know whatever you might want to assume from that, he would have most likely have been even separated. He wouldn't have been sitting at his gate. But this man is in Afflicted. He is not someone that anybody wants anything to do with. The dogs are licking his sores. And then you have this rich man who Lazarus is merely just wanting the scraps falling off the table, but that doesn't happen. The rich man's getting all the opulence and the trappings of someone who has wealth and influence, wearing purple. He eats anything he wants to, he's got everything he could imagine. But then Lazarus's reality is hopelessness in the earthly sense. But from our scripture, we would be able to read into this that he was a lover of God. He was a lover of God. But the rich man probably once again assumptions is that he's going to live a nice long life and probably in some sense or the other had convinced himself that, you know, I like to help people, I do good things, and you know, therefore, if there is some kind of afterlife or semblance, my good deeds will outweigh, uh, as we often see. See, the first thing I want to share with you is this, uh, this morning. Number one, do not envy the temporary, worldly, quote-unquote, small-h heaven of the lost. Don't covet. Don't disdain the only heaven that the lost will ever experience. Matter of fact, let me just encourage you in this. Pray. Not God, take it away from him. Don't pray that, because that's showing, once again, your envy. Pray, God, I know right now, as I see him, he believes that he has everything that anybody could ever want. Oh God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt until he knows you as Lord and Savior, the fulfillment that he desires can only be experienced at that point. God, use whatever has to. God, you know, I hope this would be your prayer. God, I've I've talked all I can, but he doesn't want to hear about it. Father, God, bring him to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Do whatever you have to do so that he might know the fellowship with the Father. That's something you can do about it. Because what are you doing? You're praying in accordance with God's will. God's will is that none should perish. And if you pray that prayer for your neighbor, not only do we believe God will answer it, but you're praying in accordance with God's will. You're praying blessings on that person. That many times, God take it away and make him miserable so he'll get saved. Don't do that. Because really there's that sense of, yeah, I don't want him, I don't want to see that. Right? Bring him down, Lord. Pray that he'd come to faith in Christ and that God would use the earthly wealth that God's blessed him with to make an impact on the kingdom. Uh Amen? How about that? And then you can be thankful for the blessing that God's given him because he's able to use that for the kingdom. Instead of the jealousy over the blessing that someone else has that we wish we had do oh, It's wicked. If God did you right to have it, guess what? You'd have it. And maybe that mind frame is why you don't have it. Because jealousy is pretty bad these days. And people are very jealous. Very, very. And sadly, these days we have a culture that is rather greedy. <laughs> I wouldn't even say greedy. I don't, I don't know the words for it. I read a thing this morning that they're going to be and 10,000 select families across the country that meet whatever certain poverty level, they're just gonna give them $36,000 a year to help them out of poverty. Well, the first ones that this has happened to, one of them took $10,000 of it, went on a trip to Florida. <laughs> See what I'm saying? We think that money is the fix. Money's not the fix, church. Jesus Christ is the fix. Salvation's the fix, church. That will fix every one of your ills. And I mean that. Because then we have found our creative purpose, which is to dwell with the Father. Then we can find now there's going to be a whole lot of things need fixed. Financial priorities, physical priorities, right? Loving and all these other things. God will fix that. The first part is that it will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But see, don't envy the temporary, worldly, small-h heaven of the lost. Don't do that. Have a biblical mindset, and that biblical mindset is to pray that God would save them, would deliver them, would set them free, because what they are is they're a victim right now to the enemy's lies. And what does he do? He casts mirages. He casts these huge nets of, of helping them believe that, hey, look at me. Why would I need God? And that's what we talk about when Scripture talks about it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. We don't have time to go into that. It's not actually through the head of a needle. There's a thing in Israel, and it was very difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But this is the thing. When you have everything that you need, and you never experience hunger, you never experience having total deprivation of everything, and you're going, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Why do you need God? When you always have everything that you need in this life, why do you need a Savior? And that's what I think why the Scripture refers to it as that, that maybe that was the story of this man. We don't know the story. It doesn't give us the background of it. The real issue, it gives us. It gives us his eternal zip code, and that's what we're dealing with this. But listen to verses 22 through 24 again of chapter 16. One day, poor man died, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Being in torment in Hades, he looked up, saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus, by his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Second thing I want to share with you this morning comes from those verses, and it's this. There will be a payday someday for the lost and found. There'll be a payday someday for the lost and found. Those that never place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're going to have a payday. Meaning, we're going to get the righteous and just reward for our choice. Those who mock God, don't believe they need God. They've got an understanding with God. They believe that they can live like they want to, act like they want to, and put their faith in in all of that, but then say, well, you know, I'm going to say this little prayer here so I can get my get out of hell free card. They're going to find out the same thing in what Matthew chapter seven says. By their fruit, you'll know them. God knows the heart. Praise the Lord. It's God that knows it, not us. Amen. God knows, and God also knows who is a follower of Christ, who has been transformed, regenerated. And there's going to be a payday. There's going to be glorious celebration for those who genuinely place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, allowing him to become the sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Those that then walked with him, desired to be conformed into his likeness, enjoyed the prospect of, of getting in God's word with him and reading and hearing him speak to the inner hurts and battles and struggles and heartaches and, and joyous days of elation as God was working in and through them. God knows that, but he also is going to know those That believed it was all bunk because, you know, if you heard the old saying before, well, I don't believe it's, you know, mankind was involved in it and I don't believe what the Bible, so I'm just going to do things my way. Well, by the way, if God can't give us his word, the infallible word of God, first of all, he's not God and God can do whatever he wants to. And just the mere knowledge of all the people that God inspired to write God's word, all of those different continents they were on over that span of years that did not work together in collaboration on it, there was no email, there was no fax machines, there was none of it, but yet has one seamless story from start to finish. I want to tell you one thing. You've got to have more faith to believe this is not God's word. Amen? So I'm thankful today that we have the infallible, inerrant Word of God that gives us the heart of God. And this morning, I'm thankful this morning that there will be a payday. Now, Brother Jonathan, how could you say that? Because I, I know that God is holy. And therefore, I know that if God violated his holiness, then we're all up a creek without a paddle. Because if God defies his holiness and allows sin to enter his presence, no longer is eternity secure and the truth of our eternity going to rest in the unchanging nature of God. It would only be as good as God can hold together his ability to be holy. So it would, the old order then would not be, it would be, well, we hope it stays away, but we'll see. See, I'm thankful that The unchanging nature of God promises that our eternity is secure for eternity. And that's encouraging to me this morning. But see, that payday is also going to be for those that said, no, I don't believe it. I I don't buy into it. You know, all of those things that we hear, these stories that people mock God overtly, or just say, well, I'm kind of partly in there, but I'm just not there. One day them likewise will stand before the God of creation and give an account. What did you do with Christ? I sent my son to pay a price for you, but what did you do with that? That's what we know about the Bema seat, the mercy seat, right? Which is where you want to be one day. The Bema seat is the mercy seat. If you are up there, you know you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And the gift of salvation was extended to you and you... We're a follower of Christ Jesus. But there's another seat. And that's called the great white throne of judgment. That is a seat with which you do not ever want to stand before. Because that's a seat that any person who enters the presence of the great white throne of judgment, they did not place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they are like the rich man here. They were cast into outer darkness. What does the scripture say there? Hades. Hades. That is not a place for anything other than a place of separation. God's presence is the residence of every good and perfect gift. Separated him from him is the absence of every good and perfect gift. So in the presence of God, there is nice temperature, there's light, there's hope, there's peace, there's joy, there's love, there's all of these things, but the separation from God means hopelessness, lifelessness, death, darkness, heat. Well, Brother Jonathan, well, if that's the case, when we go there, we just die. Wouldn't one think that? But there's a problem. We were also created with the ultimate ability to do what? Have a body that doesn't die. That's the issue. So the issue becomes when a body that will live no matter what, thank God Adam and Eve didn't eat from the tree of life, amen? That when you go to the place we know as Hades, hell, separated from God, You're in a body that no longer needs oxygen. It functions without anything. The only problem is you suffer the effects of that environment. So in the place we know as hell, it is dark. Your eyes crave light. So you see nothing. You feel everything perfectly. So you feel the excessive heat but you can't get away from it. That is why the rich man was asking that Lazarus would dip the finger, the tip of his finger in water and, ready? So not get a handful of it, Do no, just dip it in water and then cross the gap, the separation, and then touch it to my tongue, cool it because I'm in agony. That is the level of suffering on the first day, the moment, basically, that he entered this place we know as Hades. I think that might be one of the reasons that I think about it a lot, because I can't imagine, if you're that uncomfortable that quick, that's bad. That's actually not just bad, that's horrifyingly bad to me, and I'm not there. The fear that anyone I know that I've liked or disliked in my lifetime, people who have not treated me well, I don't want them to go there. I don't care how bad someone has done me in my lifetime. I don't want anyone to go there. I could not imagine a reality of that right there for anyone that I've ever come into contact with, known or not known. I don't want anybody to go there. So this rich man realizes, because by the way, that's the other thing when we go You end up in a place like that, you're going to have immediate understanding of everything because we're going to be in a glorified state in his presence or out of his presence. Imagine that. You mean that's a a glorified body. It's one that can't die. So in the presence of God, we feel that perfectly out of his presence. We feel all that perfectly also. So he realizes, oh no, I've got an entire family that's coming here. No one in our family has ever needed this God thing. We've rejected everything we've ever heard about it. I know my brothers are going to continue like that, like I did. God forbid they come here. Please let me send Lazarus. God, send him back to tell them about this place. Let me go. Let somebody go. What is the scripture? clearly shows that there's no way to do that. And by the way, he says... Even if God says if someone rises from the dead, they're not believe them. They have Abraham and the prophets. To me, though, that speaks to something. I can't force you to listen to truth. You can't force me to listen to truth. Either you have a desire for truth this morning or you don't. And I would ask you, if you have a desire that you and your, if you're honest with yourself and you go, you know what, I don't know what my problem is, but I don't want truth. And I don't know what to do about it. I'm scared to death to say anything about it to anybody. I would encourage you this morning to get on your face before God. Because scripture says, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. And you might have a heart this morning that doesn't want the things of the Lord. I would beg you to get on your face before God today and beg God to break your heart for what breaks His. God, I don't know what's wrong with me. I want the things of the world, and God, I don't know what to do. Get on your face before God and cry out to Him in total humility and say, Father, I know that every inclination, every thought of my thought, every act of my heart is in defiance and disobedience, God. And I want nothing more than to dwell in your presence, not just because I don't want to go to hell, but I know that there's no fulfillment that can ever truly be found in anything other than you, Father. I want to encourage you to do that today. You know why? Because it does matter. Take this story, for instance see the anguish and grief which, which we see played out in the rich man. And that's not even for saving himself. That's for saving his brothers. see this heaven the lost has displayed in front of us i know that i know that battle i remember being lost and even at times as a believer wondering god why and i, and I realize that i fully get it now this is not my world this is not we are sojourners we're aliens we're strangers We are to be in the world, but not of the world. Everything we have is a means with which to glorify Christ, or should be. Do you see it like that? Because when you do, it helps everything fall in the proper perspective of of realizing that each thing that God has given us is merely a tool with which to glorify him. It's like a mirror, and everything God gives us, how can we use this, To reflect God's glory and minister to the people that God places in our paths on any given day. Good good thought process for all of us to to take to heart. Listen to verses 25 through 31, and then we'll finish up. Son Abraham said, Remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things, but he is now comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm is fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, I, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. No father, but if someone from the dead goes back, they will repent. I told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And the third and final thing I'm going to share with you this morning is just, uh, just this statement. Heaven now is no heaven at all. The little h, heaven now is no little h, heaven at all. Nothing. The trappings of this world, the promises of this world, the things the enemy throws out that look so good, they're nothing in comparison to the glory of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. There's nothing. All of this other stuff is meaningless, meaningless. I've heard lots of boasting before in life from people who have made a a quick decision and made a lot of money or maybe they've made a series of decisions over decades that led them to very successful businesses or practices, whatever it might be. And I can think back to hearing a lot of those conversations over the course of my late teens and 20s and 30s. But I'll tell you what I, I can promise you. Of all the -the read-through-the-Bible dinners that we've had, I can hear all of those testimonies. And I hear a joy as sometimes ones break down in tears as they share what God has done through his word, their family, their work life, and whatever it might be, hear the raw emotion of joy and elation and how God, his word and the power of the Holy Spirit has either sustained them or delivered them or provided for them. I never heard that in those others. I heard a lot of stories about I, I, look what I've done. Look what I accomplished. Look at me. See, that heaven now is no heaven at all because it's merely a mirage. It's the same thing as I said in Florida, it's dying of thirst in a car, chasing that thing, believing that you're gonna quench your thirst once you catch that pool of water that's approximately, in my opinion, about a quarter mile ahead of your car in Florida. You'll never get it. It is merely mirage. Those lies, the enemy, are designed perfectly to try to keep you chasing it one day longer than you're sucking air in this dimension. Wants nothing more than to rob you of any ability to watch not only the blessings of God permeate your family, but also watching the godly heritage in your family children and their children and seeing them come to faith in Christ and realizing the passion of your heart being fulfilled. This is what I do know. My parents have always had a passion, a love and desire for Christ and what they listen to and what they engage in their whole life since I've been a child has been to be a part of the kingdom, to be a part of serving in it, Everything they've done from workplace, I remember my mother, every single time she came home from work at the kitchen table, we'd first have to hear about somebody's leg that got knocked off, cut off, rotted off, whatever it was. By the way, I used to have to sit learned that as a child, just keep on eating. And you just got used to it. But you know what else? Then she got to share who she'd shared Jesus with. And she'd share it in detail. My mom didn't share those because she was prideful of, yeah, look what I've done. No, she was always so excited and would share that and say, now pray that God would use that conversation and that God would bring them to faith in Christ. And I've heard this, and guess what? I still hear them. My mom's not working anymore, she's, she's serving, she's doing nonprofit stuff for ministries. in in churches, and also they have a little, uh, uh, like a soup kitchen thing that they do there to help with homeless and people who are not doing well. Still doing it. God forbid you're a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness come to my parents' house. It's like walking into a black widow's nest. My mother will latch on to them, spiritually speaking. And my mom met with, if I remember correctly, it was either three or four years, one of the Jehovah's Witnesses that came by their house one day. They finally ran out of the, the up. They keep sending them up the ladder when, you don't, when they don't get you, when you don't, uh, they're not able to convince you, and they ended up running out of up ladders. There was no more because my mother was so hard set in her faith in what she knows and believes, and my mom has a passion for anybody that doesn't know Jesus, and my father does. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying my parents. My parents are the first that will tell you they have flaws. So please don't take what I'm saying and saying they did everything right because I'd be lying to you. My parents are the first that will tell you we battle, we struggle just like anybody else. But I want to tell you I want to live a life like my mom and dad. I want Christ to be the overarching theme of my life, my family, and everything that I do. I want to live, move, and in him have my being. I want to be an extension of the gift of salvation as God uses me for his kingdom and glory. And I ask you this morning, is that your heart's desire? Is your heart's desire to see people be snatched from the lies of the enemy? And one day, it's not a one day. It's a one day. One day, what a day it'll be when my Jesus eyes shall see when I look into his face, the one that saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand, leads me to the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Is that your heart's desire this morning? You know in your of hearts, or are you just hoping you get in? Which is a sad statement that I've heard made Sadly, more times than I would like to say, I've heard it said. I just hope I make it in. Don't matter. long as I'm sweeping floors, I don't care. I know, church, I hope you're not having that mindset and that heart. I hope your desire is to live a life like Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned to death, he was praying that God would forgive the very ones as he was sharing the gift of hope and salvation. He was praying, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And what did he see? He saw Jesus stand at the right hand. Every other place in Scripture, we see Jesus sitting, showing the finished work. Jesus stood to receive Stephen as he was being killed. Nothing more than loving the Lord his God with his heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. You have that love this morning because church, one day, one day, we're all going to stand in his presence. What should be the driving focus and factor for us in being obedient and sharing that gift of salvation, the good news, the gospel? That there's people that you and I know right now that God forbid they die today before we get home. They're going to stand before, not the mercy seat, the Bemis seat, the great white throne. And I hope that's a driving force and factor in your life to say, Lord, don't let me be guilty of not sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with them. Lord, let their rejection of you be because we did everything we could do. We prayed until we could pray no longer because they breathed their last breath. Let us not be guilty of not sharing the gift, the good gift, the great gift, the only gift, the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for the story this morning. Lord, it's such a challenge to us. Lord, such a real demonstration and and truly a realization, Father, of what's going to happen in each and every person's life, one or the other. We're going to end up in your presence one day, hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or ones will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Father, I pray that every person hearing this right now has made that decision to follow you. They've repented of their sin, they've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they're walking in the abundant life that you've designed them to walk in, And God, today, their desire is to do nothing more than to live out your created purpose. But Father, if there's one here or watching online that does not know you, they don't know what would happen right now if they breathe their last breath. Father, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. God, we know that your Holy Spirit can do anything. I pray that it would work in the hearts of those who've been being prayed for week in and week out at this altar father ones that are right now separated from you they have no fellowship with you god and these men women boys and girls have been pleading in your presence that you would break their hearts for what breaks yours you'd bring them to the knowledge that they need you god we just pray that in a mighty way this morning we pray that every heart that hears the truth this morning would bend and yield to that and would come to know you as lord and savior god i'm so thankful lord for what jesus did for us Thank you, Lord, that today we can be objects of your mercy because your son Jesus loved us so much that he bore a debt. Every sin, every thought, every action was laid on him and he breathed his last breath. Father, three days later, triumphantly rising from the grave, holding the keys to hell and death. Father, thank you for that hope, that life gift from Jesus, our King, our Lord our Savior. Father, I pray this morning during this invitation that we would get serious about whatever it is, Lord, that needs to be dealt with. I pray that if there's finances that need to be dealt with, Lord, there's lives, there's workplaces, there's friendships. Father, today would be that day that we get serious about whatever it is, Lord, that's preventing us from being all in. God, I pray this morning for those that are not believers, not only in this building, but all over the globe today, that your spirit would pour out on hearts and would convict hearts like never before and that there would be a mighty harvest for the kingdom today. And Lord, all of this so that you might be preeminent, that you might reign triumphant and may you be glorified. We ask this all in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.